hiding in every struggle, there's always a gift. My guest on the Reset podcast today is Dr. Paige Williams. She's a lecturer in positive psychology and has recently published the book, Becoming Anti-Fragile. Paige has a wonderful optimism and she has an ability to help people learn forward, to take adverse things in their life and grow from them. It's a great chat. She's a guru of positive psychology. She's one of my mentors and one of my friends. Welcome to the Reset Podcast, Dr. Paige. So welcome, Dr. Paige Williams. Is it good being you? Today, it's particularly good being me, Luke, because we're having a chat. Yeah, isn't that good? But it's actually a little bit strange because you guys had like a hurricane or a cyclone go through your house yesterday. Yeah, so about one one o'clock in the morning, yesterday morning, we had a a mini tornado rip through our particular suburb of Geelong. Um, So it it sounded pretty impressive. We couldn't really see very much that time of night, uh, but we certainly woke up to some some trees that had felt the impact fully and a few houses had, had lost some roof tiles and I I saw a trampoline straddling a fence, which I'm sure is not where a trampoline is meant to be. <laughs> no, it's not probably the best place for either the fence or the trampoline there, uh, I wouldn't have thought. I think the trampoline won. The fence was looking pretty sorry for itself. Right. So in, in a situation like that where, like, obviously it's massive amounts of turmoil, um, I guess being an expert in the world of anti-fragile would come in pretty handy. <laughs> yes, what a beautiful link. Uh, yeah, it, it certainly does. And look, I mean, that was at a pretty small level and it was fairly intense, but only for about 10 minutes. But I think the situation that we're all living through at the moment with COVID um, is proving to go on longer, perhaps, than any of us thought it would. And it's looking like it's going to stick around for a while. And certainly the scale of it and the level of uncertainty and disruption it's brought means that, yeah, everyone's, I think, feeling the relevance of understanding a bit more about what it means to be anti-fragile. Yeah, it's it's a great concept. It's sort of it's more than just being resilient. It's actually sort of um, I've read I've read one of the early drafts, and I'm sure it's it's going to be slightly different from the one I read. But that that whole idea of of growing from adversity's been around a while, but you've sort of taken it next level, if you like. So can you take us through you know the basis of, of anti fragile? What's it all about? Yeah, sure, I'd love to. So so let's first acknowledge that the that the idea of anti fragile. Um, came from the writings of someone called um, Nassim Nicholas Taleb, and he wrote a book called Anti-Fragile, Thriving Through Disruption. Not thriving, sorry, um, improving through disruption. (laughs) Thriving is what my book's called. Um, And that was applied to kind of economic and political um, systems. So he is an economist, first and foremost, and it's quite a complex book. Um, but has some great principles in it in terms of thinking about what does it mean to improve through disruption, to actually seek out uncertainty because of the learning that you come through experiencing uncertainty and the improvement you can make from that. So Taleb's take on it was about politics and economic systems. Um, And, you know, he, he threw a few stones at glass houses around, you know, we can't really predict the future from looking at past patterns in terms of economics, um, that really the way that um, political leaders are, are kind of running economies is ineffective. Um, and some of the systems that we have in terms of finance um, and the way that we are, the way that government set up kind of societies and communities make us fragile. Um, and so I, I read that book um, 
And all the way through, I was thinking, well, this, this is great. I, I love the ideas here. But what would that mean um, to apply those kind of principles and that thinking to a human system? So as yeah. you know, my, my background is in positive psychology and, and well-being um, and understanding what helps systems thrive, human systems thrive. Um, and we've been playing around with this idea of resilience for a fair while now. I mean, not just in positive psychology and psychology generally, this idea that we can bounce back. Uh, but the principles that underpin anti-fragile go beyond just bouncing back. It, it's not just a case of us reacting to what's going on and somehow enduring it, being to being able to withstand it and, and get back to where we are, where, where we were. Um, being anti-fragile is actually um, an intentional, a conscious process whereby we, as we are experiencing um, challenge or uncertainty, we look for, for learning. We look for ways in which we can grow and learn and actually thrive through the experience. So I've taken some of the principles that um, Taleb applies to kind of economics and politics and played with them a bit and added a few more um, to think about what does it mean to be anti-fragile as a human system, whether that's a system of one, uh, as an individual, as a leader, or whether that's teams and organisations. Because your, your previous work was with positive psychology and working with leaderships and teams and stuff like that as well. So I guess it, it dovetails into that beautifully, doesn't it? So Yeah, yeah it was um, interesting that the story behind, behind how I discovered was uh, Antifragile was actually reading Mark, Mark Manson's book about hope. Um, and so as I read about, it, read about it in that context and then when I read Taleb's book, it felt like um, my work around positive psychology, my lived experience, having gone through ups and downs and coped with that in different ways and sometimes more successfully than others, as, as we all have. Um, but really feeling at this point in my life, as I kind of reach the big 5-0 next year, um, that I'm kind of happier in my skin now and feel I'm a, I'm a better person from the experiences that I've had. Um, and... I'm that better person because of the way that I've engaged with them and the time I've taken to think about how can I be better from this? What is the learning that I'm, I need to take from this? What's the gift in this struggle? Um, and that's that's not, a great line. What's the gift in this struggle? Yeah, what's the it's, gift it's, in this struggle? Um, and, you know, sometimes people have said to me, I'm too much of an optimist. Um, and I know you're reasonably well paid, and you're not too much of an optimist. You're, there's a fairly big chunk of realism thrown in there with you, so well, I don't think. You... Yeah, I, I am someone who, who works in the bounds of reality for sure. So, but what I do look for is okay, what's the benefit we can get from this? It may be a pretty crappy situation, but is there anything that we can take from this that can help us? What I call learn forward, which means the next time we come up against something. We've got maybe another tool in our belt. We've got some more resources from draw, to draw from. We've got a lesson that we've learned. So yeah. I think that's the kind of particular flavour of optimism that I have is that in the midst of all this, you know, struggle and challenge and uncertainty, how can we learn forward so that we get something out of this to take into our next experience? Yeah, I love that concept of having a back catalogue of all these things that I've got through and, um, you know, Obviously, I, I turned 50 last week, so I, I'm feeling your pain. Yeah. Um, but the, <laughs> sure. but having, that, 
having that back catalogue of, of things that you've gone through and things that you overcome certainly does make you think, well, if you, if you can look back at it and say, well, I'll go on through that, I can, I can take these tools out of that and, and learn forward. And one of the issues I think we have with that is um, particularly as parents, our generation of parents has been very much, you know, snowplow parents and, and paved the way for our kids and got rid of a lot of their stress. And I, I actually have some grave concerns of how they're going to go going forward without having solved their own problems as kids. I completely agree with you, Luke, because one of the things that we we know is that actually natural systems, and we are a natural system, right, but natural systems are inherently anti-fragile. So if you if we turn to nature, if you if um, I encourage you to look at something called biomimicry, okay, how is it that we can learn from nature? And if you look at the way that nature regenerates itself after a, a massive disruption, after something like a, bush, a bushfire, um, the, the capacity for nature to actually thrive through disruption, to come out better, to come out stronger, um, I mean, it's the basic of survival of the fittest in, 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 if you strip it right back. Mm. So as complex systems, we actually need some level of constructive stress, and I use that term deliberately. It's not that I'm advocating that we put ourselves under high levels of unnecessary stress for long periods of time because the evidence around the negative impact that that, that has on, on us is, is there, so that is not what I'm advocating. But also if we let ourselves sit in comfort for too long, if we let ourselves just live in an environment where we're not challenged, and, and I think that's what you're suggesting maybe we're doing with our children is we're moving out, out of the way, all of the challenges, all of the hurdles they might have to get over, that's not good for us either. Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't learn to be able to deal with, with um, the, the ups and downs of life and we don't, um, we don't learn the capacity of not doing well. And we need to do that because, you know, at some point, hopefully, the children do leave home and they do strike out on their own and they have to do that stuff themselves. Yeah, I have, I have a, a concept that's fairly unique to me, but it's, um, it's kind of embracing my inner Gumby, <laughs> embracing the parts of me that are, that are really, really stupid and not great. And, you know, you wouldn't wish them on anyone, but, oh, well, they're part of me, so I've got to like them. And there's, I don't know, there's a part of that, that I really like. I, I kind of like having to sort of overcome the, the things in your life that you're quite crap at. And then when other things pop up later on, you go, yeah, no, I can, I can get through this. And I guess that's part of, having that back catalogue that's part of being anti-fragile, I guess. Well, it, it is. But, Luke, you also speak to a really interesting point there around how, how it is that in, in modern societies we have, these unexpected, um, we have these unrealistic expectations of how we need to show up in life. And, you know, I think there are a number of things that are driving that, certainly social media and the fact that we can, you know, put filters on everything and we show certain parts of our lives, the yeah. perfect parts. Um, means that there's this almost false expectation around what it means to live a good life. And, you know, in any way being less than perfect um, isn't acceptable in that. And so we build up these expectations about what it means to have a good life. And then when our reality doesn't meet those expectations, that's what makes us fragile because in some way we, we feel we're, we're not good enough or we feel that what we've got isn't enough or just the filling in the gap on what there isn't enough of or we, are, we don't have enough of. 
Um, mm-hmm. And it's that that makes us fragile. It means that we're not leaning into challenge. It means that we're not trying things because we don't want to risk failing. We don't want to risk not looking good. We don't want to risk not looking perfect because in somehow we've got this false expectation that everyone else is out there living these perfect lives. And, and, and it's not the case. You know, the reality is it's not the case, but um, that's what we're putting out there. Well, things like your social media, that, you know, it's been said a lot, they're the highlight reel and comparing your everyday experiences to someone else's highlight reel, you're always going to have that sort of compare and despair, aren't you? You're never going to, you're exactly. never going to add up. And in this, uh, I love the work of, uh, of uh, Byron Katie and it's called The Works. And she says suffering sits between, it sits in the gap between our expectations and our reality. Um, yeah. and, you know, a lot of um, some of the work in anti-fragile is around closing that gap. Um, you know, what is the reality I'm working with? What are the expectations that I have? And, and how can I make those overlap? Because if I can make those overlap, I become less fragile. Yeah, that makes good sense. One of the things you bring up in the book, and I think COVID-19 is a perfect example of this, is the black swans. Yes. Yeah. Um, can, can, can you explain the concept behind black swans and, and how that applies to, to COVID? Sure, sure. So it's funny, actually, there's been some real argument and real kind of debate around whether COVID is a black swan. So I'll, I'll explain a bit about, about what a black swan is and then, and then uh, the listeners can make, can make their own decision. So black swan theory comes from the original book by Taleb, um, Anti-Fragile, um, and, uh, and he's actually written a book called Black Swan as well. And black swan events are events that are um, not able to be predicted, so you couldn't have seen them coming. And yet, in retrospect, we can see that the, that the pattern was there. So we don't see them coming, and yet... In some ways, we've kind of missed all the signals from them, but they are. So you see this in hindsight, but you can't see them mm-hmm. beforehand. And and the, they're a complete disruptor. They kind of break the circuit. They're circuit breakers. Um, and so some people are saying that, yep, um, COVID nineteen is a black swan. Others are saying no. This is something that's been predicted. Bill Gates predicted this in a, yeah. a, a TED talk that he did in I think it was the mid twenty tens. Um, we've been setting up the, the kind of the perfect storm for a pandemic of this scale for a long time with our levels of interconnectedness, with kind of the removal of borders, with travel becoming quite so, um, so freely available and affordable to people. So kind of the, we've been creating the right fertile soil, if you like, for this black swan event and then thinking it can never happen. And so... Um, black swans and their purest form are things that you can't even imagine happening. And yet, as COVID has unfolded, we've, we've seen that actually oh, there was a plot of a movie in which this happened, and look, Bill Gates spoke about it. So there's a, there's a parallel idea to black swans called grey rhinos. Um, and um, okay. I, I encourage you to Google that. Um, I, I was speaking in a conference with Michelle who wrote the book around grey rhinos, and grey rhinos are the things that are staring us in the face that we just don't see. And right. the time that we see them is when they're charging towards us and it's kind of a bit too late. And many people are suggesting that actually COVID-19 is perhaps more of a, of a grey rhino than it is a black swan. Um, and I think perhaps only time, you know, only time will tell. It's certainly a circuit breaker 
uh, of um, of scale that we haven't seen perhaps since since the world wars. Would say the the two thousand and eight global financial crisis would that be something you'd look at as a as a as a black swan? Yeah, I mean, there were very few people picked that. Yeah, in terms of the circuit breaker, um, and in terms of it being kind of like a if you like a, a crack in, in, in reality and that things never quite go back to where they were before. Yeah, there, there are a number of things that the global financial crisis, both the world wars were, um, to a certain extent, maybe 9-11, when you think about the world yeah. after 9-11, the level of security that we saw in airports, what, what shifted us to a new norm, um, then to a certain extent um, 9-11 was. We can think of it in terms of technology. So the internet is... Yeah. You know, things shifted in a way that they will never go back to how they were before. Yeah. So that's remember, one aspect of a black swan. I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine. I used to, I lived in England in the late 90s and had a conversation with a friend of mine and she was telling, who worked for Virgin Mobile Phones. Yeah. Well, back when mobile phones were in their infancy. And she was saying, yeah, pretty soon everyone's going to have one of these and you're going to do lots of your computer stuff. I'm like, I'm never going to carry one of them, not a chance in hell. And yeah, now look how completely wrong I was. Yeah, exactly. You know, now we have <laughs> iPhones, right, and we yeah. do without them. So, um, yeah, one aspect of, of a black swan is that you know, it's that circuit breaker. We don't ever go back to how things were before. And as I say, it's a term that's been um, that evolved in, in economics. So black swan events are those things that shake up economic markets to the extent that, that's not been seen before. Um, and so it's about it's thinking about you know what might a black swan event be in your life because the the book becoming anti fragile is very much about um, your own black swan events and you know that might be the the a new job a promotion a baby a relationship beginning or ending these are the kind of micro black swan events that can turn an individual's life uh, you know be a circuit breaker in some way. Um, and they're things that they don't come along just once in a lifetime in the way that black swan events in economic um, terms might do. Um, they're things that can come along maybe every couple of years. I mean, I can remember I went through a, I went through about a six or seven year period. And if we, you know, if we take the idea of a black swan event and, and you look at some of the most stressful things that you can go through and it's a, you know, moving house, new job, divorce, new pay, new baby, death of a loved one um, and, I, and I think there are the, I looked at the top 10 and I think in a period of about three years I managed to tick off about seven of them oh so nice block of black swans <laughs> um, and you know that was certainly an intense period of becoming anti-fragile so I think we take that idea of the black swan and we think about yeah what have been the the real disruptors in our in my life and and what have I learned through those Actually, years and years ago, back in my mid twenties, I had a a, uh, a little bit of a love affair with marijuana and ended up having a, a thing called a hypomanic episode. And it's a long story, which I won't get into all of it now. But I basically was put in a hospital and got they gave me I didn't sleep for two weeks and just my brain went into fifth gear and didn't come out. Yeah, and you know my family's going, oh, he's got a drug habit and he's in a mental hospital and all of this sort of stuff. Oh, wow. it all seemed terrible. Right at the time, to them it all seemed terrible. I was having a ball, <laughs> um, <laughs> but the weird thing is, every single part of my life at that particular time was pretty terrible. Like I was partying a lot and having lots of fun, and I was going nowhere. I was in the, as good a job as I could have got where I was, 
and that was the catalyst for me to go and move overseas and and bought my my own specs service practice and ended up retiring three years later with you know was comfortable and set for life and you know all of that sort of stuff so that one event of of having a brain going to fifth year and getting put in hospital seemed terrible at the time but it was absolutely life-changing if it didn't happen i probably wouldn't have my daughter i probably wouldn't still be married because at the time i wasn't a very good husband and you know we were on the verge of not being together anymore so that was a massive black swan event for me and you know i look back at it now and i think of all the things in my life i'm grateful for you know going into that room and them saying, look, you're coming with us or your jacket's going to buckle up at the back and you're coming with us <laughs> was a pretty, a pretty good event. And, and, and you know, th- this is the thing, anti-fragile is in relation to your context, right? So, so we can think about anti-fragile in terms of what is my capacity and confidence and motivation to deal with the level of disruption that's going on in my life? So thriving, thriving comes through our confidence, our motivation and our res- the resources we have available to deal with the level of disruption, of challenge, of uncertainty, of change that we're experiencing. So you may have different levels of fragility, robustness or anti-fragility in different areas of your life and, and different areas of your life may be may be kind of asking different levels of anti-fragility from you. Now, it sounded at that point as if you had all kinds of disruption, challenge and change going on in lots of areas of your life and, you know, was dealing with that in, in particular ways. But if we, if we find that we actually we don't have the confidence or the motivation or we don't feel we can reach out for... Most of like, do you have people in your, in your world that you can actually reach out and, like, I need some help here? Yeah, exactly. um, a lot so of people don't have that. That epidemic of loneliness, I think, would be adding to people's fragility because they don't have a mentor to be able to say, "Yeah, I'll I'll help you out of that hole." Because you know, I've been there before, and this is how I did it. So um, we can look at it in terms of the confidence and motivation of the individual, and then beyond that, also the resources they have to draw from. So whether that's knowledge, skills, whether that's other people, a network, um, or if it's professional resources, you know, as in needing professional support to get through what it is they're experiencing. And so the, the frag, whether we feel fragile, robust or anti-fragile is the degree to which there is a gap between this level of disruption, what we're, what's being asked of us in our context because of the challenge and change and uncertainty and how we feel in terms of our confidence, motivation and resources, how we feel able to meet that demand. The bigger yeah, okay. the gap between our resources and what's being asked of us, the more fragile we are. Um, And so in the book, what I put forward is some principles that can help us learn how to navigate, bridge, close that gap um, so that no matter what part of your life you're experiencing disruption in, you've got these um, guiding principles that you can use as a touchstone um, to help you navigate through. Yeah. Okay. And what what are what are some of those things? What like if you had to give someone a few a few things on on being anti fragile? What are the? It seems it seems like to me from from reading the the early draft of it that one of the first ones is being curious. Yeah. Absolutely. So so one of the I think one of the first things to do is to let go of this expectation that we can control our environments completely, um, because 
once we let go of that and we understand that so much is out of our control, um, then we are more able to be um, flexible with it. And certainly, you know, that's something that's so come out of COVID-19, isn't it, is that actually when we're forced to, we can be quite agile, we can pivot. There, there might be some struggle in it, um, but actually we do come out, we can come out of it better. And, and I don't in any way want to diminish the, the struggle and the challenge that there has been in the COVID-19 situation in Australia and globally. You know, I certainly don't want to diminish that in any way. But wow, I have seen IT departments pull rabbits out of hats in terms yeah. of being able to get people off-site connected in ways that actually mean business operation keep, can keep going in a matter of days and weeks, whereas previously they were talking about months and years. So, you know, they said, what do they say? Necessity is the mother of innovation. Well, I think that that has certainly been the case. So yeah. letting go of this expectation that we can control everything, I think then frees us up to be curious about, okay, how are we going, how are we going to engage with this? How are we going to get through this? What can we learn from this? And really use questions as a way to help us keep moving forward, learning forward, and not staying stuck, not staying stuck and being resistant to what's going on in our environments. Because I guess that's the thing that makes us fragile too, isn't it? If we're too rigid in our in our theory of what we think about something, then we can't. Then we do break. And I, I think you use a, a metaphor in the book that's about being that sort of flexibility of being able to move and you know, like a tree that's that's a, that can move with the breeze isn't going to fall over. Absolutely. You know, a tree that's stuck and rigid and is more likely to actually get pushed over by cyclones rolling through your place. <laughs> That's right. So absolutely, you're right, Luke. It's, it's about, yes, there is strength in um, anti-fragility in that we are able to, to move with the context and we're able to, to keep playing the game. We're able to stay in the game. We don't get broken by um, the disruption. You love that Simon Sinek infinite game sort of, yeah. Um, yeah so- other people might not know about that. Can you tell us a bit about that? Because it's, it's a really cool concept. Yeah, so, so the, the principles I set out in the book spell out the word robust and the T, the final principle, is about tackling the infinite game. And so um, it, what was interesting was that I, I'd started writing the book and then, and then Simon Sinek brought out the infinite game book and I was like, oh, have I got to change my last principle? I'm like, but I don't want to. So I just didn't. Um, and it's actually. But the, um, the weird thing about that, like you could you could say, well, Nassim Talib wrote Anti Fragile before, and it's a completely different context, and it's a completely different book. Exactly. But I can't remember the person's name. But someone else wrote the Infinite Game before Simon Sinek as well. That's right. And he took their learning and then put it into a modern context, and so you, you've actually kind of done a very similar thing to what he did. So exactly, and the Infinite Game, the principle of it, and and um, Sinek does a great job of unpacking it in terms of what it means specifically for leaders to play the infinite game um, and uh, you know it's a great book and I recommend it in in context of the robust prin- principles um, and thinking about being anti-fragile what tackle the infinite game picks up is Taleb's principle in economic terms around moving away from short-termism and so you can understand that in economic terms, there's no point in us just hooking in to, to small short cycles because that doesn't actually help us be intelligent 
about understanding how to, to manage the ebbs and flows. And so if we take that idea of short-termism and we look upon it in terms of human systems, then how is it that we move from thinking about what's in this for me and how do I play to my ego and actually tackle the infinite game? And the infinite game is, is, is about playing a game of contribution and playing a game that means that we look at achieving goals that go beyond our lifetime. Now, I say lifetime, and it might be lifetime in your work role. It might be lifetime in the lifetime of the project that you're working on. Or in its biggest sense, it's, it's your lifetime. It's how do I do something that actually improves this family, improves this team, improves this organization for the next generation? And at its highest level, tackling the infinite game is about us addressing things like global um, global issues like um, inequality in terms of um, econo- in terms of income, in terms of um, climate change, in terms of actually what is the role of business, what is the role of leaders in terms of making a contribution beyond profit. So um, tackle the infinite game in the robust principles absolutely takes us beyond ego. It takes us beyond short-termism and it encourages us on a journey to become anti-fragile that never ends because it doesn't. I I love that concept. It's it's a great book too. If anyone wants to read um, The Infinite Game, it's a fantastic book. Um, One of the things that I actually look at going to COVID, if the world can get together and sort this out, it actually does give me a little bit of um, hope that we can look at things like climate change and and sort of see if we can come we can all come together to sort of find a, a solution for that too, which would be um, which would certainly make the world slightly less anti a lot better at being anti fragile to to be able to fix that. It, there really is. I mean, one of the the opportunities that comes out of COVID is for us to really rethink some of the norms that we've fallen into and for generations like norms that that are based in the industrial revolution that are based in factory models of schooling and working and um, structure of the day and you know even down to how we spend time together whether that's as a family or just just socially um, and, and I think it, it's kind of thrown everything up in the air and gone actually we don't need to do things that way anymore and and it's technology that enables us not to. And, and one of the things I'm very interested to see, and this would be us really taking anti-fragile um, out of the COVID situation, is how is it that we can use technology now not to distance, not to disconnect from each other, but actually to enable more quality connection in person. So um, research I was involved in recently uh, with a, a charity that I sit on the board of called Uplifting Australia is about creating emotional well-being in family systems. And we went out and asked a 1,000 Australian families, what's your experience of COVID-19 been? Now, one in five said, this has been hard. We've had someone in our family lose a job or um, economically we're se- severely impacted by it. Um, and that's what I don't want to diminish, but in any way, the suffering. But alongside that story was a real story around a third of the 1,000 families saying, We've had more quality time together. We're feeling a greater level of connection. We're recognising this was something we were missing before and it's something we're going to invest in in the future in terms of the emotional well-being of our family. So um, out of, they weren't saying it had been easy. Alongside that, they were saying, do you know what, though? Juggling school and homeworking and everything else, that's hard. 
but struggle and thriving sometimes go hand in hand. And that was one of the stories that was coming out of this research with families from COVID-19. Now, technology enabled us to do that, but technology also enabled us to be together and, and, and have a greater sense of connection. And I think there's some kind of um, paradoxes coming out of this around how is it that we actually can use technology to connect in a more meaningful way rather than disconnect, which is where it seems we were going before this. It was. like That, that image that we've all seen where, you know, four people are sitting around a table and they're all playing on their phones, you know. I, I, love the, I love the concept to, you know, be interesting enough that people want to put their phones down. And, um, it's, uh, it's a pretty cool concept. But that's about all we've got time for today. If anyone has, um, would like to hear more about, about becoming anti-fragile. Paige does amazing workshops and stuff with companies and is an incredible corporate speaker. So if you want her to come along and teach your your uh, team all about anti-fragility, I'm sure you will be able to get in contact with Paige in the, in the show notes. But my last question is always, what are, what are the two things that you are when you're the best version of you, Paige? What are the two characteristics of the best version of you? So... Um the, the best version of me is when I am um, being love and what that means is that um, I'm showing up in a way that accepts people for who they are, where they are uh, in, a, in a loving way. And the other side of me that I think my two girls would, if they were here, they might disagree with is I'm bloody funny. <laughs> I think you are too. <laughs> So I feel I'm at my best when I'm being funny. I just don't know that my girls always agree with me. (laughs) Paige Williams, it's been an absolute pleasure. You are indeed hilarious. uh, (laughs) Thank you for coming on the Reset Podcast. Thank you so much, Luke. It's been an absolute joy. Cheers.